0: Hi, and welcome back to Activists of Tech, the Responsible Tech Podcast. Protecting kids online has been a very hot topic this year, especially since the reintroduction of the Kids Online Safety Act in the US Senate, which aims to protect minors online by restricting access to their data, but also by mitigating harms that specifically arise from using social media, such as online bullying, eating disorders, exposure to sexual content, and trafficking. Regulating social media is complicated, especially when it comes to algorithmic recommendation and content moderation, bringing the issue of internet freedom and free access to information. Who should have the right to decide what information your kids or yourself can or cannot see online? And what can legislators do to protect kids and teens on social media? To answer these questions, I spoke with Ava Smithing from the North Carolina Young People's Alliance. Ava is a 23-year-old congressional advocate. She's passionate about mitigating the negative effects of technology through public policy and entrepreneurship. She graduated with high honors from Stephen Institute of Technology with a Bachelor of Business Administration with concentrations on the history and philosophy of tech and management. Post-graduation, she began working at the Young People's Alliance, where she directs advocacy and community. She is actively serving as a congressional advocate for strengthening data privacy laws and is also an organizer, building consensus among young people as to how they can solve the tech issues that impact them the most. I hope you enjoyed this episode.
1: Ava, hi, welcome to the show. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. So what's your story? Well... My story is one that everyone has been talking about for the past few years. I was one of the teenage girls uh, with an eating disorder on Instagram. I'm fortunate enough to say was, not only because I'm not a teenage girl anymore, like thank God, but because after about eight years, I finally got the courage to take some time off of social media and navigate the slow road to recovery. Um, so my story is one that falls under the universal experience my contemporaries and I are sharing that I had my most formative years stolen from me by a business model that profits off my insecurity and isolation, you know? Um, and if you're curious, I can walk you through exactly how they did that. Yes, please do. Sure. Okay. Um, so when I was 11 or 12, I started on Pinterest and I was quickly found by targeted content to be susceptible to giving my attention to posts that showcased a body type I didn't have. You know, how people look at a car wreck and they just can't look away. That's kind of how I felt looking at um, and interacting with this, this content. And it's a tale as old as time, really. Harsh body standards capturing the attention of a young woman. Um, but what amplifies this on Pinterest or on any social media and makes it really predatory is that due to the attention I was mindlessly giving these posts, the platform made the connection that showing me posts like that would keep me engaged in viewing the content on my screen. And um, it was also now to- tasked with finding more posts that were related that would strike that same reaction and keep me engaged. Um, So I was spending a lot of time looking at simple bikini ads. So the inference is that I would also spend a lot of time looking at Victoria's Secret ads. Uh, And then from there, it was like, oh, she's gonna be interested in behind the scenes vlogs at the Victoria's Secret show. And all that content falls under the same umbrella that like Thinspo posts and strict diet text posts do. Um, because the same girls that are susceptible to one are susceptible to the other. So all of a sudden I was engaged in that world of contact. Um, and I got lumped into that group and the attention that I was giving these really harmful posts, because that's what I was thinking I was supposed to be seeing, you know, um, it just, that attention further reinforced the automated decision-making of the algorithm that these are the posts it should show me to keep me engaged. Um, And because when I'm looking at something, the algorithm doesn't know or care the difference between me liking that thing or me just simply not being able to look away from it because I'm a human with negativity biases. All of a sudden, I was literally seeing posts with like, here's a daily diet to keep you under 400 calories right next to a post that's a bikini advertisement. And so the advertisement is then slapping me in the face with this perfect group of girls that I can look like if only I followed that diet. Um, so this harmful content, this eating disorder inducing content was coming at me from all angles. And it absolutely took over my feed, my content, my advertisements. Like I got on Pinterest to find DIY crafts and I end up on some deep web form because I followed a link. And all of a sudden I'm reading a detailed first person account of how to hide your eating disorder from your friends and family. And you don't really make it back from that as a 12 year old who can't self-regulate you, you can't not fall into that hole. You go back to that web page because what else are you supposed to do after scrolling through a curated feed of triggering images for an hour? Like forget about it. No. Was I supposed to turn off my iPad? No. The product was designed to prevent me from leaving the page. So of course I stayed in that loop. Um and it wasn't long after this on Pinterest when Instagram started getting weird too. Like I remember so well when they first rolled out their advertisements. We were all mad about it, but then it became the normal. Um, And because of this and the sharing cookies, whatever you want to call it, I started getting those same types of posts that were on my Pinterest on my Instagram feed. And what was even worse on Instagram is that the harmful posts were now sandwiched between selfies of my real life friends. So I was seeing what my life could look like through a perfected and commercialized lens directly compared to what my life actually looked like and I started noticing wow this advertisement like that gets a lot more likes on my post what's the difference and to the young me without the context or education who couldn't place that difference that difference on a larger societal issue like the patriarchy the only difference between me and my post in that advertisement was that I wasn't that skinny so that's when social media stopped being fun and everyone started adapting themselves uh, and what they posted because now we weren't trying to connect with our friends rather we were competing with our friends attention with multi-million dollar corporations who were using market research fueled by our personal data and makeup teams in photoshop to create better content than us and I didn't want to become relevant, you know, like in my heightened peer sensitivity. So I spent my entire teenage life trying to convince people on there that I was skinny and that they should like my picture because of it, because that was the currency in our social communities there. Um, and what really didn't help is that my theory was right. Like when I would post a picture that I looked skinny in, I got hundreds more likes on that photo than I did on anything else I would post. So Social media created the urge to deprive myself of sustenance, taught me how to do it, and then actively reinforced through the reward center of my brain, like via likes, that what I was doing was the right thing, you know. And I was only able to act on my awareness um, and recover from this after I deleted social media. And my dad went to like a law of therapy. And you know, it's That story there isn't even getting into the nitty gritty of what an eating disorder really is and what it really feels like to truly believe that other people's perceptions of your body are more important than its physical well-being. That feeling is pretty inexplicable. And I think that's what my story is rooted in, or I know that's what my story is rooted in, is feeling like I would never be able to explain to people how dehumanizing an eating disorder is. And I would never, especially never be able to prove to people that. My eating disorder was incubated on my social media accounts. Like, I didn't want to be like that. I was forced to be like that. So now I'm just telling people who have the agency to do something about it. I'm saying, please do something about it. And I'm trying to be as candid as I possibly can in those conversations because I want them to feel my urgency and make the first move to protect people from this. I want to protect people from this dangerous algorithm machine that I feel is unsafe at any speed.
0: So you fell into an eating disorder and, you know, it was powered by your presence presence on social media and algorithmic recommendations. How old were you when you were able to reach this level of awareness and realize that it was social media that was making you sick, basically?
1: I was 20 years old. It took, I was never a teenager without an eating disorder. Every single year of my teens were given to Instagram.
0: You know what? I have a very similar story, not with Pinares, but with Tumblr. And, you know, high school for me was 10 years ago. And though I relate to what you're saying, but I can already pinpoint the differences. But when you said, it's still my teenage years, I think people who went through an eating disorder know exactly what you mean. Like, it's an obsession. You only think about calories and food and when to work out and what you look like and how much you weight and... There is no space left to think about anything else, like your friendships or school. But again, high school for me, that was 10 years ago, and social media was very different. And I had this horrible pro-Anna blog on Tumblr. And there were algorithmic recommendations, but it was less developed. And I was able to be anonymous online. So how was it for you? How did you experience your eating disorder through social media with your actual real name
1: well I think that all of those issues you were just talking about like thinking when am I going to work out what am I going to eat what am I not going to eat I think all of those things were taking up my mind and were at the forefront of my mind but was what was also at the forefront of my mind was how am I going to get a picture of myself today that I look skinny in so that I can post it on my Instagram story and people can like it you know because it's it's really hard to motivate yourself to not eat when there's no incentive to do so. Um, and the incentive to do so being so clearly defined as showing, like, showing the progress I had made to people in real time and then getting that feedback from them, that was a whole nother thing that took up my entire brain is how can I translate what I'm doing to my body into a public setting where people can comment on it and validate that what I'm doing to my body is the right thing it's just gonna say it's so it's so ugly because an eating disorder is such an ugly thing in and of itself without social media like that problem is so prevalent and they're so horrible without social media even coming into the picture but when you throw social media in there it just compounds the issue I mean so intensely and it just makes it so much worse and you literally can't think about anything else there's nothing on your mind other than what do these people think of me and it's not just the people in my class what do these people think of me but it's all of the billions of instagram users who could somehow stumble across my page and find my page it's what do they think about me too and no person should be susceptible to, to that we shouldn't we're not supposed to be visible on that large of a scale
0: were not and actually it's shocking to me because I had never thought about this specific aspect just being having a page that is accessible for a lot of people you don't know because back in my day um, it was really we're able to be anonymous and it was like a private page or a private blog with only either people you knew or you were anonymous but we didn't get the amount of likes and attention that you can get nowadays yeah
1: right when you take the anonymous aspect out of it and everything is really tied back to who you are yeah it adds a whole nother layer
0: it was pretty close when i went to high school versus when you went to high school i think and yet social media was so different and i remember a time when it was okay you know to be online or to have a facebook profile and you only had to deal with you know teenage stuff and your real life but nowadays or at least for your generation I feel like you have to do it all over again, not only for the people you know in real life, but also, you know, strangers on the internet have access to your profile. How would you describe that type of pressure?
1: Right. I think that, A pretty good way to frame my answer to this would be just to distinguish between what a community online is and what a following online is. So, from what I understand of your experience on social media, you were still in a point where the people you were interacting with online were the same kind of people that you were interacting with in person. And you had built this community around those people. And it didn't matter necessarily if you were talking to them online because you were seeing them in person, right? yeah exactly yeah I just I think that nowadays we're not building those communities in the same way I mean we have finstas like fake instagrams or you can have your spam snapchat story which I mean it's so bizarre that you would have to have your real instagram and then the instagram where you can be authentically yourself like that's that's an interesting thing in and of itself but um I think that we're not trying to build those communities anymore. We're trying to build a following and we're trying to show those communities. Look how many people are following me. Look how many people are liking my posts and look how many people are engaging with my content. And it almost then becomes, well, it does then become very competitive. Um, And the people that you're supposed to be connecting with the people that you're supposed to be friends with, they then become adversarial because they could be getting more attention online than you are. Like that's something I remember from high school is in my close girl group, when we would all go to a party and we would each get pictures from that party. If I posted my pictures from the party and my friend posted the same picture from the party and hers got more likes than mine, I was just absolutely distraught because we we did the same thing you know people must then like her better than me it just actually quantifies the horrible mechanisms that go into socially ranking people in high school like that's always been around and then all of a sudden you're you're getting ranked but you're also getting ranked comparatively to people who are literally professional social media influencers and i think that that's something we don't touch on enough is that i mean for example like charlie D'Amelio is the tiktok it girl great for her oh very God. cool that she can monetize this but now every girl in america isn't just competing amongst their friend groups but they're competing with charlie demelio who has a pr team yeah. who has a stylist who has makeup artists who has choreographers you know and when you have to when you're in that competition you can't see all of the aspects going into charlie demelio's content You can just see her content. So it looks like that playing field is level, but in reality, that playing field is not level at all. And that comes back to a smaller scale too, uh, high school to high school. Like people in high school have more resources than other people to make themselves appear a certain type of way. And, you know, like vacation content, for example, when people in high school go on vacation and get cool beach pictures, people would eat that up. Not everyone is going to the beach on spring break, you know? And that's just, it It really just stratifies everybody into these yeah. different groups.
0: So coming from that background, how did you end up working at the intersection of tech and policy?
1: Okay, so innovation for innovation's sake has always really freaked me out. Like, I've been uncomfortable with the rate at which technology was developing for my entire life. And, you know, I could attribute that to my fear of change or just baseline rejection of modernity. Like, I don't really love new things all that much. Like, but... And there's so many people my age who love tech, but I think that my feelings about technology are understandable when you look at the timeline for me. I was born the same year as the iPod, so I've grown up parallel with our society's shift towards mobile devices, constant access to the internet, to information, and also access to all of the people that we've ever met. And while none of these things are inherently bad, I've always had an off feeling watching everybody that were supposed to become closer because of these mobile devices, watching them grow far apart and that's an unintended consequence of technology to which there are many and those consequences have always been really clear to me um and it it's just we weren't using technology we're not using technology to optimize our humanity and i wanted to get a better understanding of what we as people actually need versus what we want versus what is only necessitated by revenue models you know when you're looking at the direction of which things are innovating you know it's it's going in the revenue model direction. It's not going in the humanity direction. So I felt that the best place to examine um, what people really need from technology was to look into the technology we create and use every day. And I just happened to be very lucky and go to a school like Stevens that offered really niche degrees at the intersection of technology and people and policy. Uh, And those then shaped my perspective and work alongside the growth of technology. So
0: was there a pivotal moment that led you to focus on responsible tech and
1: specifically advocacy? It's not right when Frances Haugen whistle blew, but it was a couple months after that. So when she came on 60 Minutes, I had this crazy eureka moment. And I remember it so well. I went digging for the journal that I had kept in the summer of 2020, which was the peak of my eating disorder. Like I left school that fall to recover. So, at the time of the whistleblow, I was a year into recovery. And I hadn't dared touch that journal because the whole thing was filled with nasty, negative self talk and literally pure delusion. I just, in there, I just cited that my desire for attention was the cause of my eating disorder. And I reinforced that I deserved to have the eating disorder because I was shallow enough to want attention. And That that was actively what I was trying to unlearn in therapy. So I kept it as far away as I possibly could. But when I heard that man on 60 Minutes say that Instagram harms teenage girls, I jumped up and ran for the journal because it made me remember that interlaced somewhere in all of that head trash in my writing, there were moments where I shifted the blame from myself just for a second. Like there's one page in there with all capital letters scribbled. It says, the more insecure I am, the richer Mark gets. My attention is pretty easy to command because I love looking at sticks. And now I don't remember 2020 perfectly clear. I'm pretty sure here by stick, I meant model, but it was written out there that I knew something was wrong and under it at the very bottom of the page in really small letters, I wrote blaming him for your problems is taking the easy way out, Ava. So even then, when I didn't want to recover and when I was in the thick of resenting myself, I intuitively knew that something about the way I was behaving was out of my control. But as I illustrated through my response to myself, the notion that a separate individual could be responsible for the degradation of my mental health is one devoid of any rational foundation. I mean, in this economy, blaming organization for something? No way. I was a good American and I gaslit myself into thinking that the institutions that were supposed to protect me did and were protecting me, but they didn't. And the whistleblower validated that. And for the first time in forever, I didn't feel so crazy, but that validation didn't necessarily last very long because suddenly people were debating what Francis Haugen said. And the issue that I intuitively knew to be true because I lived it was flashing in front of my face in a hundred different headlines being argued about and intellectualized by people who couldn't even fathom what it felt like to be a teenage girl on Instagram. But I could because it was the context of my life. So I felt I needed to start inserting myself literally inserting myself into the conversations about solving this issue because data can reveal certain facts but without all the context it's hard to understand the story and it's really hard to fix a problem that you don't understand so my pivotal moment was legitimately a resentful scroll that turned into a really motivated linkedin stalking because i was seeing these headlines about teenage girls over and over And eventually I was like, I have to do something about this. And I worked my way from the Center of Humane Technologies LinkedIn page. And I, because those were the only people I knew in the space, in the responsible tech space. And that's how I found All Tech is Human, which is how I met you. And eventually where I met Sam, who's my executive director at the Young People's Alliance, where I work now. Um, And they had it laid out perfectly clear, my entrance into the field. And I was sold on responsible tech from there on out.
0: So you mentioned an underlying issue to um, the specific problem of teenage girls on social media. Do you think there is a specific issue um, beyond body image issues that impact um, this outcome?
1: I think that social media takes all of the problems we have in our society and perpetuates them tenfold. Because while algorithms aren't like, while algorithms are not inherently biased, bias is introduced to them through flawed assumptions in the models that they function on. For example, the assumption that what I want to see is represented at is represented by what I look at most is a flawed assumption. And bias can also be introduced through systemic inequalities that are reflected in the data sets compromise of a collection of data that maps our population's innate human biases. So if you put all the people's brains into a big pool and you pull from there, because our brains are inherently biased, that bias is going to be reflected. And by mapping what content humans are interacting with, we are essentially putting all of our brains into a big pool like that. So I believe that these algorithms are taught by our flawed and inequitable and oppressive system by all of the people that live in it and share their data with it. And if you feed an algorithm a like a biased data set, it's going to give you biased results and lets you specifically train it not to, which we did not do on the front end because, you know, why would we ever do that? So my human mind, which has been conditioned by the patriarchy to believe that my body is more important than my brain, when it's interpreted by an algorithm, the algorithm is going to spit out at me content that represents that disproportional ranking in my brain of the mind and the body. So the algorithm knows me better than I know myself and puts that out there. And it it perpetuates and automates these issues that I'm dealing with in my own head by understanding um, and being able to map how I interact with certain content. And I feel like that framework follows for literally everything. Like the reality emitted by social media is the same as the reality we put into it but literally on steroids because somebody is making money when we pay more attention to our fake reality than our real reality so because of this incentivization where money is involved the algorithms learn that we pay more attention to these outrageous things and because our attention is capital these outrageous things are then going to be perpetuated by the algorithm did that make sense
0: it does make sense, and I relate to it, and you just make me remember that sometimes I take my phone, I open a random app off an Instagram, and I just scroll down, I and I don't even look at the content, Mm-mm. and after that I just close my app, and I'm just like, wow, I just helped Mark make money. That's yeah. all I did. Sometimes I feel like I'm an employee, but I'm not getting paid. I just help them make money, you know?
1: Yeah, everyone is volunteering for Meta it's oh so my kind God. so Honestly, great i'm gonna work
0: yeah that. let's all add this to our CV on linkedin because
1: right. that's really yeah, actually funny that's a good idea <laughs> but but i feel like sometimes i even like i hate mindless scrolling but sometimes when i close out social media after mindlessly scrolling i feel slightly better than I would have if I opened social media and paid attention to the posts that I was looking at on there because those posts are so outrageous and Mm, just absolutely fuel me to be feeling bad. So like sometimes I'm thankful when I mindlessly scroll and then close out my app because while I did waste maybe 15 to 30 minutes of my life, at least I didn't get all pissed off. You know what I mean? Oh and that's yeah. funny. That's, I don't know, that's just my, that's just the lesser of two evils. That's what that is.
0: So you've been working on these issues uh, specifically. A few months ago, you were advocating for the Social Media Algorithmic Control in IT Act in North Carolina, which mm-hmm. if passed, would limit um, social media platforms' ability to mine data from users who are minors. Could you tell us more about what this bill represents and about your experience as an advocate?
1: Yes. Um, So I think that the bill represents, or no, I keep saying I think that. I don't think I know. You know, (laughs) yeah. Um, The bill represents young people doing everything in their power to move the needle and wanting to attack the issues that we're facing right at the source. Because this bill was ideated and moved forward by young people and not even young people, but really at the beginning, one young person, Sam, who's my executive director at the Young People's Alliance, he sat in the state legislature in North Carolina day in and day out and talked to people and talked to people and talked to people until he was able to come up with a material thing or with this bill that could in part change. And so what H644, or as we affectionately refer to it as the Smacket it Act, uh, what it stands for is a forced necessary change to the way that social media companies function. And what the bill does is prevents algorithms from using minors' personal and usage data to formulate recommendations of content and advertisements for their feed. And this decommoditizes the young social media users' attention and stands in the way of these companies' current models of in- incentivization Which is to get to know our natural biases as humans well enough to show us media that it knows we won't be able to look away from. So instead of trying to solve this issue on the back end and say, well, let's look into what the media that's being shown is bad, we're trying to solve the issue at the front end and say, You can't highly tailor the media you show each individual person based off of the incredibly complex pieces of information that you've been been able to extract from them. And hopefully the goal here is to prevent users from getting trapped in echo chambers where they're consistently being exposed to monotonous and in many cases harmful content uh, and ideas that prevent them from seeing an accurate representation of reality. To use the example of my story, without algorithmically fueled recommendations, I wouldn't have been automatically progressed from a bikini ad to a diet post. Or another example with political radicalization. Someone wouldn't be progressed from an educational video on World War II to, for example, a Holocaust denial video, because that's a pipeline that happens all the time because of this recommended content. And if you stop recommending, then that pipeline will get cut off. And... I just I think it's really important that we cut off that pipeline because the content that you consume manifests itself into the way you live, into your habits, into your attitudes, into your community, the people you surround yourself with. And if you're consuming that harmful content on a daily basis, then your life is going to become a mirror of that harmful content. I mean, it's exactly what happened to me when I was... Younger, when I was twelve, I was consuming that harmful content, and then my life for eight years became that harmful content. Uh, so that's what the bill stands for. But as for my experience as an advocate, the most fun days I've ever spent playing hooky thus far in my life—well, I guess ever in my life, because I'm done with school for now—we're spent in the North Carolina legislature. So I met Sam at an event in New York City just a couple weeks before, and we got to talking, and he was like let me fly you down to Raleigh. You can speak at this press conference and help us lobby on our lobby days. And I'm just standing there. I've never done any of these things before ever. I have no idea. Like I kind of know what lobbying is. I thought of lobbying to be this really bad thing. Well, what we're really doing is advocating, but (laughs) regardless of my inexperience with lobbying and speaking publicly, uh, I got on the plane and I walked my ass into the state legislature and I met Sam. And within maybe two hours, I was talking in solo meetings. I was talking with North Carolina state representatives, asking them to co-sponsor this bill and explaining to them what it was like to be a young person on social media and why we needed protection. And I had representatives co-sponsoring the bill right in front of me because it was so clear and evident to everyone, to them specifically, after I'd come and spoken to them, that the mental health crisis fueled by social media was a common sense issue that needed to be regulated on. To be a part of something like that, of shifting the narrative and standing up for what we as young people deserve was so incredibly special. And these people, these representatives, they were thanking us when we would tell them about it. They would say, thank you for sharing your story. We're going to do everything we can to solve the issue. And that really changed the narrative for me because I thought that I was being an inconvenience to these people. I thought that I was going in on their very busy, busy people. These are lawmakers. I thought I was going in, taking up their time, being busy and begging them to do something that they didn't care about. But what I realized is that the inverse was actually true. They had wanted to solve these issues. They just didn't necessarily know how because they didn't have the same lived experience that I had had in my life. That what we were doing was helping shape the conversation around what regulation to make social media safer would look like. And that's so important because our voices as young people needed to be included in those conversations. Um, and our perspectives and informed life experience are so valuable and necessary to trying to solve those issues.
0: You spoke about regulation. I do believe that algorithmic recommendations regulation is necessary. Right now in the U.S., there is a lot of discussion around content moderation. Do you think content moderation is the answer?
1: I wish I could think that it was the answer. I wish that I could snap my fingers and remove all of the dangerous content from social media and protect kids from it. But unfortunately, under our current system of governing, I don't think that it's the answer Um, because we don't have proportional representation of our population in the rooms where the decisions are being made. If we don't have proportionate representation in the rooms where the decisions for what content is harmful or is not harmful are being made, then the content that they decide is harmful is not necessarily going to be true or accurate. And I think the best example of this to show legitimacy behind this concern is what's going on right now in America with book bannings we our schools our people in power are banning books to keep children safe from the content of those books but when you look at what books they're banning it's one times more dangerous than if we didn't ban any books at all because what they're banning is books about being a woman books about being gay books about being black books about being literally anything other than christian which is kind of ridiculous but for us to think that we can trust these same governing bodies that are making decisions to ban these books completely unfairly to decide what content should stay or should not stay on social media is literally by definition insanity. We are we are going to have a repeat of these issues, I personally feel, um, if we try to moderate content and I, I think that that's really scary. And I think that that's something that needs to be at the forefront of those conversations. Because if we want to moderate content on social media, I mean, like, it's literally America. Like, hello, the First Amendment. Um, yeah. kids, are, kids are dying by gun violence all the time. But oh because God, yeah. of the Second Amendment, we can't do anything about it. So why would we think that social media with the First Amendment is much different? And that's a completely separate issue. But I just think that adequate, if we want to moderate content on social media, then there needs to be an immense effort put into adequate representation in the rooms where the decisions for what content to moderate are being made.
0: Yeah. And all the issues we've talked about, they're intertwined. And I don't think our societies will ever fully abandoned social media, but I do believe that change is on its way through regulations and, and civic engagement. Where do you see social media in the next five years?
1: Well, you know, this is a fun question because there's how I see the future of social media as someone who is delusionally optimistic. I see the future of social media as a place that is decommercialized, where humans can connect with one another Um, and have full autonomy over who they connect with and the type of content that they see. And then because of that, it's a place where we have really rich communities of people sharing with one another. Um, if you can take away targeted advertising and allow people to search out the things that they want to buy for that they want to buy, I see social media being a place where our small businesses and local businesses and minority owned businesses can absolutely thrive because people who care about supporting them are able to seek them out. Um, I see social media as a place where we can come together and build consensus on issues. Uh, that trouble us as opposed to pull us apart and the answer in that really the first step we must take to get to that version of social media is to turn off recommended content and advertisements because the automated stream of content is paralyzing people into being passive on social media. And social media is never going to be a place that is conducive to real connection, to real collaboration, and to inciting real change if we are passive users of social media. If we can get rid of that automation and become active on social media, search out the things that we care for and purposefully build these communities, then it can be a place where we come together to solve issues as opposed to a place where we um, numb our minds to be distracted from issues. I really do see Gen Z and younger generations, um, if if there is effective regulation passed to make this possible, I see them taking control of social media and turning it into the biggest, fastest, strongest engine for perpetuating social good that has ever existed but you have to take the commercial aspect out of it because it's you can't have people compete against perfectly formed advertisements. People who are trying to accomplish good on social media right now have to compete with people who are taking advantage of the negative aspects of social media to grow their own personal businesses and interests. And I think that that's where it gets a little bit Murky. But really, what we could do is turn off the automation and revert back to the community oriented social media that we once knew, where you were following accounts that you genuinely cared about. And you could remember when you could scroll to the bottom of your Instagram page and it would say, like, you're all caught up. Yes. Being able to catch up,
0: it had an end. And nowadays, it's just like you can scroll down for 48 hours straight and Mm -hmm. find new content.
1: Right. But what I want to do is take back that 75% of time yeah. and use it for literally anything else. Like, if we were more intentional about what we were seeing on Instagram and curated our own surroundings on social media platforms, we would be just as entertained and we would get so much of our time back because that entertainment could be, you know, portioned off to a small amount of time as opposed to how it is right now, where it you have to be willing to give up hours of your life to find those small moments of entertainment.
0: So obviously that's a lot to tackle. What do you think we should do on a regulation level to make social media safe?
1: We need to pass comprehensive data privacy legislation. Um, that legislation needs to have specific provisions in it to protect kids and to protect their data from being used to inform advertisements and content recommendation so we can get rid of the automation that we were just talking about and we can reclaim social media. I also feel like in that legislation, we need to change the norm of likes or reaction-based feedback. I don't think that there should be numbers on likes. I think we need to limit social media's ability to use notifications to pull users onto the platform. I don't think that minors should be allowed to receive notifications. Um, from social media. And I think that we need to make young users aware of the harms that algorithms have in a digestible way. Um, I think we need to also pay close attention when we're having the conversation about how we keep kids safe online to what we're doing to keep adults safe online. Because if we continue to let adults use social media in the way that they are, then our kids are not going to have a functional democracy to grow up into, and then they're going to be screwed regardless of the efforts we make to protect them online. Because the mental health crisis is huge and perpetuated by social media and needs to be solved and can be solved if we turn off algorithms. Um, But... We need to establish rules about the way that algorithms can be used to target people with personalized recommendation systems adults and kids because if we continue to target adults at the rate that we're targeting them now we are going to continue to polarize our democracy and our institutions are going to fail our kids so while it's very important that we are incredibly urgent in the way that we act to protect young people online, we also have to be equally as urgent in the way that we protect all people online because by protecting all people online, we are protecting our democracy from the faults that come with highly targeted information systems. I also think that we do need to put a big old Surgeon General's warning on social media and not a Surgeon General warning that you can ignore by easily clicking accept. That thing needs to be able to sit on the page for at least 10 seconds. Because then, if it's sitting there for ten seconds, not only does the kid have the have the option to read what algorithm, like why algorithms are bad for them, but also it disrupts that automation. It disrupts the monkey brain. And if you're sitting there and reading this thing for ten seconds, you you might as well also just be like, wait. Do I even want to go on Instagram right now? I mean, look at the one second app that they introduced. It's the app this guy programmed where all it does is when you open Instagram, it forces you to take a deep breath. And he claims that it puts screen time down by 50%. So if we can also establish a national or a global warning and disclaimer on these products, I think that it would greatly help contribute to making these products less addictive yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah turning algorithms off will make the platforms less addictive period and making the platforms less addictive will make them less harmful period there is no reason that social media users should not have the choice to clean their feeds of highly personalized recommended content and advertisements people deserve the choice to set their feeds to chronological order to set their explore pages not to highly recommended things and yes right now instagram if you wanted to turn on your chronological feed you could do it but you can't set that as the default it always goes back and they hide it from you behind layers and layers and layers and layers of horrible user experience design which is hilarious to me because you know how much they're paying their user experience and yeah, designers like they, <laughs> like they know how to make things easy for you. They purposely make it hard. Yeah. And our governments need to act on making that easy for people and restoring the choice to the American people, period. Well, and all the people, Canadian people too. Hey, Ava, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I had so much fun. Well, I don't know if it was fun, but it was. Definitely... It has
0: fun. It's heavy topics, but it feels good to be validated and have like that shared experience about social media. Yeah,
1: definitely. I I'm excited to see how you edit this together to be Me a too. conversation. <laughs> Me like, too. I'm I'm excited about that.